I think about are two words that used to kind of play into my life, but they played in my life in a bad way. Fear played in my life when I was all about me, and faith played in my life in a bad way when I was about God but disappointed in Him <laughs> because I knew what He could do. God can do anything, but my faith in God doesn't rest on what He does. Because he could do anything. He could have prevented my divorce. He could have made my husband a, a robot and said, you're not leaving. But that's not how God works. Because he's loving and he's compassionate. He allows free will. Because if I came and grabbed Richard by the neck and said, you're going to love me, that wouldn't be too attractive. And God's not going to grab us by the neck and say, you're going to love me. Here's, he says, you're going to have faith to love me and for me to pour out on you. And fear is nothing but lies. Always tell yourself, if I'm afraid, my joy's interrupted, I'm fearing something that's a lie. For example, if I believe this chair won't hold me up, until I sit in it, I'm believing a lie. But when I sit in it, I'm having faith in something simple like a chair. So let's bring our faith to the altar no matter how tiny it is, he never tells us to pray to increase it because any faith in God will be enough for that moment. Come and pray and ask God to help us understand his faith and know him well enough that we're not grabbing by the neck, that we're just coming to his open arms.
wandering into the night wanting a place to hide this weary soul this bag of bones i try with all my might but i just can't win the fight i'm slowly drifting a vagabond Just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. You picked me up, you turned me around, and placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you healed my heart, you changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. I cannot deny what I've seen. No choice but to believe. My doubts are burning. Like ashes in the wind. So long to my old friends. Burden. Till I walk the streets of gold I sing of how you saved my soul This wayward son has found his way back home You picked me up, you turned me around You placed my feet on solid ground I thank the Master, I thank the Savior Because you healed my heart You changed my name forever free I'm not the same. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. And last another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. And last another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. And last another one. Because you healed my heart, you changed my name, forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. You want me to sing? Is that what you're saying? No, you don't want that. I promise you. I promise you. Clear out of the sanctuary in a heartbeat there, Brother Lloyd. I'll start singing. 
All right, we're going to jump back into James this morning, and uh, James throws us a little twist. And uh, so we need to catch this twist and uh, make sure we use it to continue to grow in our faith. So as we uh, continue our journey in this series of James, uh, we look forward to this. We started last week, and James pointed out and made it clear, we see in verses 2 and 3, that God uses trials. He doesn't tempt us, he uses trials. And we need to understand there's a big difference between trials and temptation. God is not tempted, nor does God tempt his creation, his men. Uh, and if we look at Judges uh, this morning real quick, Judges chapter 3, uh, we're going to look at 1 and 4 to lay a foundation. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars of Canaan. That meaning what, who these children that did not go through the exodus. In verse 4 it says, they wore for the what? Ah, there it is right there, for the testing of Israel. To know, always purpose in what God's doing, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So, this is nothing new. You and I facing a trial is nothing. It's been going on for 6,000 years. We're not the first one to go through a trial. We won't be the last one to go through a trial. And we individually are not through going through trials. So if God would test his children, the, the, the nation that he birthed out of Egypt, if he would test them and say, look, we got a problem here. We're in the land of Canaan. And, there, and by way of that, there's coming blessings. But before I walk you into those blessings, some of you have never dealt with a hard time. I'm paraphrasing here what God's saying, i.e., a big problem with the younger generation in America today. When I say younger generation, I'm talking about if you're younger than the age of, oh, I may be off a little bit. If you're younger than 65, You've had a cakewalk. We've had a cakewalk in America. Oh, no, we had the Korean War. We had the Vietnam War. We had Afghanistan. And my son served over there in three tours. You know, we got all these wars we went through. True. One, it didn't compare to World War II. Nothing will until the end. But in America, we have lived since 1950, since World War II, we have lived in so much abundance and so much wealth and so much prosperity. That's what God ran into with the children of Israel. Why well, you say, well, you need a few tests to thicken your spiritual skin. That's theology by Todd for what it's worth. We also, too, we find that joy in these trials that we are growing joy and patience that James pointed out last week. In doing so, then we grow in our maturity. He says we lack nothing is if we're able to hold on to our joy and endure in patience. And then he said if we lack wisdom during these trials, ask God through faith. Ask in obedience. That means keep on doing what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and God will give it to us abundantly to answer all that. So this morning we're going to continue in our journey of a fruitful faith and see where, jo where James takes us this morning. So let's pray and we'll get started here. Father, thank you for this opportunity to grow in your grace. We uh, started last week 
understanding that trials is something we're supposed to find joy in, understanding that it's going to mature our faith and leave us lacking nothing, that we can have the fullness and the abundance of the life you offered us when we endure those trials with patience and through faith. So open our hearts this morning as we grow, continuing your grace in Christ's name. Amen. I won't ask you to stand, but let's read James. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18 this morning as we continue on. And James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 15, but, or excuse me, 14. But each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by what? Oh, his own desires. Can we not tempt ourselves? Yeah, right there. Don't think you're not good at tempting yourself. Don't think that Satan's not good in fueling that temptation. But temptation only comes by way of the flesh. Uh, it's brought on by Satan. Verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, oh, that's such a big word, when it has conceived, gives birth to what? Oh, birth to sin. Uh, we're going to have to look at that. This birth to sin is not a pretty picture. If we don't like the picture last week of being illustrated or looking at being spiritual prostitutes, we won't like this one either. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. we got to look at that word there, death. But do not be deceived. Our friend the King James says, do not err. It's the same Greek word, which means deceived, to be led astray. My, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a king of first fruits of his creatures. Amen? So let's look at this here. Got a question for you. You can just answer in your head. What's something you've bought that you really shouldn't have bought? Now, that may be a long, <laughs> long list there, okay? And then, as you're thinking of those infinite amount of things that you have that you shouldn't have, uh, then you have to think, why did I buy them? Or why did I put myself in that situation? Or how did I get in this situation? It's interesting how James switches gears from encouragement to the 12 tribes that are being scattered abroad. Remember, he's talking to the disciples and the tribes that have been dispersed, and he challenges them. He goes from an encouragement to the opposite end of the spectrum to a challenge. Basically, James is telling them, don't finger point. Don't finger point. Meaning, don't try to blame God for your trial. I'll add, don't try to blame others for your trial. So back to our question, have we bought things we shouldn't have bought or have things we shouldn't have and wonder how we ended up there? The reason is we can often get ourselves into situations brought on by our own, account of, or our own temptation by way of our lack of accountability. This is what James is pointing out. Don't start pointing fingers because you're where, you're where you don't want to be. That's not God's fault. 
God didn't make us go buy that car that we can't afford. He didn't make us go buy houses we can't afford. He didn't go make us run up credit cards we can't pay for. Nor did he make us make spiritual decisions that separate us from him. That we gave way to our lust and our desires. Yes, he does use trials to grow us up. But now James has abruptly changed the course and says, Hey, I need to introduce something besides trials. Let's get our mind off the trials that you have been in, are in, will be in, and I want to start talking to you about temptation. So you say, what's the difference? What's the difference between trials and temptations? Well, it's easy. Trials grow us up. God said that. Trials grow us up. They mature us. Temptation destroys us. One grows us. The other one will destroy us if we conceive to it. So why is it important that we not blame our temptation on God or others or our situations? Simple fact. We own them, do we not? We own every decision we make. No, I was put in that situation. You may have been put in that situation, but just because you allowed that situation to dictate your choice, don't blame that on somebody else. Here's a big one. I fell trapped to it for a lot of years from basically 14 years old to about 34 years old. I fell trapped to it myself the way I was raised. I can sit up here all day and give you a, a horror story like many of us can. How much dysfunction and, the, and, the, uh, and alcoholism and drugs that are in my family. And as the, being the youngest sibling, the situation I found myself in or put in, it was out of my control. But that lingered into my adult years. And it was a whole lot easier to say, well, yeah, I did that because they did this to me or I was put there. Finally, I had somebody invest in me enough to realize, hey, you may have, somebody may have put you there, but when you were there, you chose to do what you did. It wasn't the person who put you there. This is what James is telling us. He's telling us in a spiritual manner, though. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you have spiritual dysfunctionality in your life, nobody brought that on to you but you. God for sure didn't because he doesn't tempt us. Satan can try, but he can't make us make the decision. It's self-accountability. That's why it's important because we own them. We have to be assigned to them. One, we got to know that God's the answer, not the problem when it comes to temptation. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, you and me today, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No what? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you what? May. 
There it is, self-accountability, that you may be able to endure it. Now, I've been there. I'm telling you, being transparent here, a big part of my life, I would argue that I had no choice but to do what I did. And I was fooling myself. I was being seduced by my own lust of what I wanted. God says, no, 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 there's nothing happened to you to you that's uncommon that hasn't already happened to man and everything that does happen to you i will give you a way out if you seek my way out god you don't get to the the right you don't have the right well i have the free will i don't have the right to choose my own path and then blame somebody else where i end up on my path big problem we have in our culture today we want to do what we want to do, and when it goes awry, then we want to sit back and we want to start blaming the government and blaming our spouses and blaming our children and blaming our bosses. And we don't stand in the mirror enough and look at the reflection in the mirror. Look what it says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is ever, uh, in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without what? Without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of decision. When we got to make a decision. There again, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability and his resource for us to make the right decision. He's telling us here in Hebrews what we need to do and what we don't do a lot of times. We don't draw ourselves boldly to the throne, to the grace of God, who can make decisions without sin and say, hey, show me the right decision. Because obviously I can look at my life and realize that's not a high percentage of right decisions. So I'm going to seek the one that's batting a thousand percent. Would that not make sense? James adds to this point, not only are trials part of life, but temptation is also part of the Christian life. He instructs us on how to deal with them. Look what he says in verse 13, going back where we started. Let no one say when he is, is tempted, I've been tempted by God. For God cannot tempt. Catch this context. What he says in verse 14, look what he says in 14, or maybe it's 15. Uh, what's 15? Or 16, I'm sorry. Jump down to 16, Mark. Yeah, he says, Be not deceived, my beloved brothers. King James, do not err. You, we got to understand the context of what he's saying here about temptation. When we get to verse 16, that's a command. That's not a hey, here's an option, or hey, put this in your pipe and smoke it and see if it brings you some pleasure. No, do not. So by way of the Holy Spirit, James instructs us when it comes to temptation, God says, I have an answer for you. The answer to my goodness starts, <clears throat> excuse me, with a command. And if we don't see this as a command, if we, if we only see this as a suggestion, 
that things will usually work out better for you if you don't do this. I kind of encourage you to do this instead. We're going to miss avoiding the temptations that comes our way. It is a direct command. In verse 14, James gives us clarity to the boldness of that command. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. That means the origin of lust, greed, selfishness, pride are all self-induced. I know we don't like hearing the A word. Everybody know what the A word is? Not you, Connie. <laughs> the A word, accountability. We don't like that word. What's so heavy about accountability? Just what it means, right? It's a self-reflection. It's staring right in the mirror in every situation we find ourselves in. Can I look at the reflection in the mirror and say, I did right by God's direction? Or, hey, I did wrong, but it was me that did wrong, and this is why I did it, and now I need to correct it by doing the next right thing. So, this day and time, our culture, we struggle with accountability to the highest levels. I'm not blaming anything on the government, but we can start at the highest level and see lack of accountability, can we not? Well, that's what I said, but that's not what I mean. That's our government today. Or do as I say, not as I do. And it filters down. And we got parents that do that, trying to lead their children spiritually and morally and preaching about what they ought to be doing and not doing it themselves. Or us. We're quick to have a word or a, an opinion or what's wrong with this matter or what's wrong with that matter, and yet when we look at our own heart, we're not doing anything much different ourselves. But, oh, we can be quick to point out the wrong, can we not? Except when the wrong falls on our own heart. God holds us to accountability. He tells us in Romans 14, verse 12, so then each of us will give an account. Each one will have accountability. Every single one of us as God's children will have accountability of himself to God. The day's coming. The day's coming that every single one of us will stand all by ourselves before our Lord and Savior. Stand even before God, and we will have to give an account of our life. Here's a point here. I'll chase a rabbit for a second. It's not wrong to want. To want something is to lust for it. Okay? We're always quick to associate lust with a sexual application. Not always. Lust is just a desire of the heart for something. That comes by way, by your free will. I've, I mean, fall to it every time I drive by a truck dealership. Oh, man, I'd love to have a new truck. Now, think about all the features that you can have on it. Then I drive another block and drive by Bass Pro Shop. Oh, I wish I had this, wish I had that, you know. Now, some of those are more 
deep in the heart. Man, I really wish I could have that. To the point you start thinking, man, how can I pull that off? How can I obtain that? It, that's not the sin. That's free will. That, that's human nature. God knows that. That's not the sin. It's only wrong to take something that's not yours. It says, when lust hath conceived, it tells us in verse 15. That's when the trouble starts. You cross-reference that in 2 Samuel 11. Free will is the option to want what we shouldn't have. But it's also the option to defer that choice to something better. So we can take every lust of our flesh that we long for or think would make us happy or we just want to have. Okay? That's free will. But we also have free will to counter that. Look what it says in Genesis 3, 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. They saw what they wanted in the garden. Satan makes sure they were aware of what they could have in the garden. Isn't it not interesting? It all started, this problem we have today with this temptation that we struggle to control and hold account ourselves accountable to, that it started nothing new over 6,000 years ago. It started in the garden. It started with Adam and Eve. God showed up and said, oh, why did you do what I told you not to do? Adam, being the spiritual leader and the more mature of the two, stepped up and took ownership. Well, God, I can answer that for you. I'll tell you what happened. Please do, Adam. It's that woman you sent me. It was her fault. That was Adam's spiritual leadership in the family. That woman, head as hard as this conqueror. I can't get her to do anything, God. I don't know why you get, I try and I try and I try. Huh. Did she hold you down in a headlock, Adam, and shove that apple into your mouth? Well, let's go deal with that hard-headed woman of yours, you say. Eve, did you do right? Well, no, but I got an answer for you, God. It's that serpent you sent. It was his fault. I would have been a model wife if you wouldn't have sent, sent him along. Started 6,000 years ago. I know we're having fun with that, but it started 6,000 years ago. The very first trial and test that God put before us, his creation failed. Right off the bat. No accountability. Not, not my fault. Shouldn't have put the tree there, God. You didn't want me to have it. Why'd you put it there? There's a lot of people that deal with God like that. You ever wonder, man? I bet you if God graded on the curve, we'd still be failing. I don't think we can still get it right today. Test after test. Maybe it's me I'm talking about. Anyway, do it the rabbit. Back to the truth. Temptation is a false allurement of the flesh. Think of like a fish. We know the analogy. You know where I'm going. We, those that love to fish. We got endless amount of lures out there, don't we? Another reason I like to go to Bass Pro Shop. I just go to the fishing sections. You know, we got all these lures, and Satan has all these lures. And it's just like we, we bait these fish. 
man, this will be the best bait you ever had. And we're just like that fish. You get that shiny new lure that comes through that clear water, and we're just, man, just our eyes just lock in on it. It's dancing around and doing all the things that lures are supposed to do. Either we can chase that lure, or we can be knowledgeable of what that lure is and say, ah, I saw what happened to my friend, or I saw what happened to me last time I chased one of those down. We've got to be willing to choose the opposite. This is where accountability sits in. As soon as we act in or on that temptation, this is a conceived, it's a conception, it says in verse 15. Something is born. It, it, it's just like the egg of a woman and, 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 the, and the seed of the man get together. They conceive together and create human life. When we act on our flesh outside of God's word, what's not good from God, and we chase this lure, these temptations, and we, 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 we bite into it, we conceive something the scriptures tell us. And the byproduct of it, it tells us, is sin. And this sin comes by way of choice. The sad thing is it can become perpetual, ongoing. And it just keeps on conceiving more and more and more. Now bear with me here. It's not a pretty part. But we've got to have full context. This conception of sin gives birth to sin is a very graphic, graphic depiction in the Greek. Like I said, as we may not have enjoyed last week's illustration, this image is vivid, you know, equally disturbing. It comes from the Greek word tikto. T-I-K-T-O means to bring forth. It means to birth, to bear, to be born, to be in travail. I won't mean you know, travailing in childbirth. The Greeks describe what fruit is born of a woman. They tie it to the birth of a woman, you know, to a child. The conception of man's sin depicts the tragedy of a stillborn life. That's what this word means. This is what's being applied here. And when a young couple or a mother are longing for a child and, and they, you know, they, they find out that they're pregnant, we know the excitement, the joy, the anticipation that brings. To only get sometimes so far into it. There's ladies in, in our church that that's happened to recently. And you get all that excitement, and rightfully so. You just desire and you lust for this child to be brought into the family and to have its part and to nurture it and to grow it to only find out that it's stillborn. It rips at the mother's heart, and rightfully so. It leaves a void an emptiness, a loneliness, a shallowness. That's not fun for any mother or any family to have to endure that. The man can't even comprehend what that's like to a mother for that to happen. But this is what the Word depicts, that when we conceive our lust, it brings forth this sin, and what it brings out of us, it brings about a spirit that is stillborn, dead, 
no life. This is what James is trying to tell us about this sin. This is why he changed gears so fast. When he jumped from telling us about trials, their purpose, he says, hey, we also need to talk about this temptation that's so prevalent in the flesh. The destruction it brings. It will hinder us from the maturity the trials are supposed to bring us to. Temptation is a disruption of God's purpose in our life. It rips us out of that fellowship. It brings about a, a stillness in our heart and our spirit that, that, that destroys us. It goes on at the end of verse 15. It says it brings forth death. That's the Greek word, thanatos. It's a very strong Greek word. It's used to mean violent separation. It's used to, to illustrate when somebody just directly, physically dies. Now, while it's not applied here by James, he's not saying we die and lose our salvation, but he's talking about, he's illustrating the, the power of this death. It separates it. It's, it means, the word goes on to say, uh, a disjoining of the soul. It separates us from that fellowship, that unity from God. James says, you've got to understand the severity of this temptation, and we can't play with it like a fish chasing a lure because it looks good. We've got to have this accountability, and though we're in these trials, we can't let these trials disrupt us so much that we, we, we reach out and we long for something for a temporary relief. I live with that my whole life. I have a father and a brother that died from alcohol. And I saw them from a child that anytime something disrupted their lives, anytime something just didn't go as they had planned, both of these men were vastly gifted. Vastly gifted. My brother was, I mean, just for, for illustrative purposes, my brother was told by the Pittsburgh Steelers he was going to be their number one draft choice. Until when he hurt his knee back when they really couldn't do what they did today. And when he could no longer play the game and get what he wanted, his life ended on this earth. And he started grabbing things and conceiving things in his life that destroyed him. to die at the age of 50 from cirrhosis of the liver. My dad was just not far as, you know, books, but common sense, such a wise man, such a successful man. Everything he touched succeeded and had great morals and great values until anytime something didn't go the way he planned, and both of them, they would reach out and they would grab that can and that bottle and that was their answer every time. And it ripped their lives apart. And their, their spirit, their souls just became stillborn. And they had nothing to offer, nothing to bring. And the only thing it did is rob them more and more and more. Oh, it solved things for a season. They could stay 
hidden behind a bottle or in, you know, in, in a drunken stupor long enough till they woke up and found out they were worse off than when they started. They never took ownership. They never took accountability. It was everybody else's fault. If somebody would act like this or do that or just, you know, things go the way I planned, then it was fine. Disruption, a trial came their way. No, it was spouse's fault, children's fault, stepkids' fault, financial fault. It, the list was endless. How is somebody else's fault for the decisions they were making? And we do it every day as a culture. I know it's heavy. I know it's hard to hear. Verses 16 and 17. That Greek word for deceived or error in the King James is planeo. It means to be seduced, to be wandered away. It means to be, yeah, biggest word is seduced. So three things, and I'll close with this this morning. We got a grasp from this. First, James is telling us, don't be deceived. Straightforward. It's a command. So much so that God gave us a command prior to the goodness he has for us. He says, you can master this command, and you get to receive from the Father of lights, as we're promised. So simple, don't be deceived, don't be lured away, don't be lied to about this deceitfulness of the sin, of the actions we take, thinking it's going to produce something better than what just happened to us. That's what we do. We don't like the trial, so we grab something else. Nope, the only thing to do with this trial, I'm going to step out of the trial and I'm going to do something different. Well, one, the trial that helps us grow and to mature, as soon as we step out, we also step away from our joy, and we also just step away from our patience in the Lord. Then the Holy Spirit doesn't have time to work on us, or Jesus as the potter doesn't have time to shape us as the clay. So we venture out there, we walk away from our joy, we walk away from our, our patience, and we grab hold of this temptation that we think is going to get us through or make us happy, and it will for a season. And the only thing we do is conceive this sin and this death spiritually. Don't be deceived. Don't be lured away. Two, second, it is, this isn't all bad. These are all precursors and warning. And this is why God gave us a command, because God has good things for us. Good gifts, but they don't come from within. We can't manufacture them on our own. The Scripture says they only come from the Father of lights from above. Look what it says in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, what, more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It doesn't matter what we try to manufacture. No matter what we try to do to make, create joy and, 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 and happiness in our life. We can't compete with God. He created it all. This is the direct counter to him who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In John 10, 10. While Satan plays that role, God says, hey, he's coming. 
be aware. It'll be part of your trial sometimes. He's going to bring with him temptation to try to steal, kill, and destroy everything I have for you. But understand, I came that you can have life and have it more abundantly. It's a spiritual tightrope or, or line or fence, however you want to describe it. Which side are we going to lean into? It's not that God wants us to do without the enjoyment of life. He's telling us to allow Him to provide it and not to be lured by our temptations that falsely come by way of pursuing that will that, you know, we'll leave us empty. Thus the Father's commandment. He's commanding us, don't be deceived. He tells us it will end in death. Galatians 6, 7 tells us God will not be mocked. Thumb your nose up at what you think God has for us. I don't think that's the answer, God. Don't thank you. I know me. You don't understand my situation. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the way my spouse, my boss, my whatever is. You don't know, God. That's mocking God. God won't be mocked. James says instead, beloved brethren, swim away. Swim away. Don't chase the lures of life. Psalms 23.1. Psalm of David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The third thing, and we'll close, James describes God as the father of lights. Psalms 27.1 tells us, The Lord is my light my salvation, and whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? If we know that, then we know he's the father of lights, and we know all good things come by way of him. Why would we not search after that light and follow that light? If that's where all the goodness is. David understood this. That's what we need to understand, need to grasp. The Bible compares goodness with light and evil with darkness. Isaiah 60, 19 through 20. I'm wrapping it up here. The sun shall no more uh, be your light by the day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. God can put an end to it all. Our misery, our suffering, our hopelessness, our doubt, our fears, God says, I can end it all. Just search out the light. Close with this. What God gives or what God provides is better than whatever is tempting us. What God offers will always be better than what's tempting us. But we have to believe that. We have to believe in it. It's hard when we're being tempted. So many of the temptations just seem like common sense or seems like it has a degree of wisdom to it. But we can get so easily distracted by the glitter. James says, don't be deceived. Commands us not to be deceived. 
last verse, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? And we got to keep our head on a spiritual swivel. We got to understand Satan is a lion roaming about seeing who he can devour. It's not resistance that defeats temptation. Please understand that. It's not resistance because the flesh is too weak. It's avoidance. It's seeing it coming. Be prayed up. Be empowered through his word. And when you see the lure cast your way, flee the opposite direction. Don't swim around it. Don't swim around it, pointing it. I wonder if that's it. Don't think it's it. No. Flee. You see the lure? Go. So, close with this. The answer is not no. The answer is not saying no. But see, we have free will. And if we're just trying to focus on just saying no to temptation, our flesh is too weak. The answer is yes. Not to the temptation, but yes to the good God has for us. If we just focus on the good, focus on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we would just focus on that and follow the light and chase the light and just say yes to the light, then we don't have to worry about, oh, when do I say no? We're always saying yes to Jesus, then we don't have to worry about no, do we? So the answer is yes. Not trying to have the strength to say no. All good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights from above. Just say yes to that. Then we don't have to worry about no. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning. We, I know personally, selfishly, I love the book of James. I love how straightforward it is. And while it can be heavy with the truth on our spirit, we talked about last week the spiritual prostitution, or this week the, the, the stillbornness of sin that we conceive in our lives. We need to take these as the power of the truth, as the warnings given to us. That's the commandment. Don't be deceived. When we're able to grasp that commandment, take it to heart. Don't chase these lures of temptation, but just say yes to your goodness, Father. No matter what it costs us. It doesn't matter how much we have to sacrifice, what trial we have to go through. If we just cling to our joy and our patience and say yes and follow your light, then we don't have to worry about the no's. We don't have to worry about the temptations. You tell us that we, you will provide the power to overcome everything that tempts us. We just need to focus on the yes in your goodness over anything this world has to offer us. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you, the altar's open. Maybe it's a good time to come and acknowledge some of these lures we've been chasing.
Maybe too many we've bitten into. God will rescue us. He'll throw us back in the pond, so to speak. Just start focusing on the yes. The yes to all that Christ has to offer us and has promised us. Heavenly Father, we come this morning thanking you, Father. Thank you for the message that Brother Todd brought us this morning. There are many temptations out there, Father, that are put in in front of us, Father, to make us want what we don't need, Father. And just pray that God would just put in our hearts, Father. Let them know that Jesus is all that we need, Father, that we will ever need, Father. And just pray it just be with us as we go out into the world today, Father. And just be with those who are without shelter, Father. Bless them and comfort them, Father. Give them heat. Pray for those who are sick, Father. Lift up their bodies, Father, and heal their bodies. Touch them, Father. Let them know that you are in control, Father, of whatever is going on. Now go with us today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. 